you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. for the special welcome. I do feel like we're a family. I was thinking just a moment ago um, when Felsha was pregnant with Parker and we knew Parker would be here soon. Another one of our dear friends who has turned into family, Sarah and I were in a meeting and we got the word that Parker had been born and we both exclaimed, we have a baby! And everybody turned and looked at us like we were nuts. Like, what are you talking about? But that's how we felt that one of our very own had been born, and she, she was, and it's been a great joy. So it is truly an honor to be with you all this morning. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this time, this place where you have already been at work and yet have invited us into this incredible work. Lord, open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear from you, for we are here to worship you and you alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There are few passages in Scripture that many recognize, Christians and unbelievers alike. But the one from today's passage may be the most common. From bumper stickers to jewelry— From golf to baseball to football, posters with John 3.16 have been seen on all major networks, presumably because fans are trying to convey a message. It's also probably one of the first verses you or I memorized as a child, whether for Sunday school or vacation Bible school, if you were raised in a Christian home, Chances are you learned this passage somewhere along the way. This one verse offers us a truth so powerful that many have felt the need to share about it. But can our faith be boiled down to the words found in John 3.16? I don't think the answer is as simple as yes or no. Although the signs at various sporting events or in parades or crowds might lead us to believe that John intended it to be this simple, there's much more going on in John chapter 3. The verses that Darren read for us this morning come in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a leader, a Pharisee, one who longs to get closer to Jesus, but not to convict Jesus as many of the other leaders of the law are seeking to do. Nicodemus wants to truly know who this man is. He's confused about what it means to be born from above, from the first verses in this book. The passage of scripture read this morning is a teaching moment. It's one about how Jesus is explaining what is happening and what is to come. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus' life. 
So what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born from above or saved? Isn't this what Nicodemus is trying to figure out? When I was in my freshman year of college, we had a weekend of welcome as we were beginning the school year so that we could get to know one another, learn the campus, and start easing into what college life would be like. I attended Colorado Christian University to study youth ministry after I'd heard a calling to ministry when I was 16. So here I am on this weekend of welcome, nervous, excited, unsure of what college life would be like. And this person approaches me. She was an upperclassman helping with all us wee little freshmen. She introduced herself. We explained some exchanged some pleasantries. And then she asked me, when's your spiritual birthday? My what? I had no idea what she was talking about. And here's the thing, I was raised in the church, and I was raised in many variety of settings as a Christian. I had been to events where altar calls had happened. I'd gone to a camp where they'd prayed over me to speak in tongues, but that's another story for another time. The thing is, I had been around numerous Christians and Christian beliefs my whole life, and I had never heard this question. I didn't know how to answer it. I still don't, although I'm more comfortable now with the fact that I don't have a date than I was at the time. Some people do have a date that they can point to when Jesus took hold of their life, and I think that's awesome. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on the book of John, talks about how some Christians enter their faith after a tumultuous experience or event where becoming a Christian brings relief and a hope that wasn't there before. People like that often have really good testimonies. But as Wright goes on, he says that some people make this the pinnacle of their faith, that this moment is what it's all about. But friends, there's more to it. Our faith, our salvation, is also what is lived out. As Wesleyans, we believe our salvation is not just one moment in time, but a lifetime of moments. Nicodemus is in one of these moments with Jesus in this conversation that he's having. If you think about what's going on, think about this conversation. Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night. I picture quiet conversations with hushed tones not to disturb anyone who is resting or anyone who might be lurking, trying to frame Jesus. It's a conversation between friends, even if the friendship is new. Nicodemus trusts Jesus and longs to get closer to him. And of course Jesus obliges. This is who Jesus is. He loves talking to people even confusing them a little, and that seems to be what is happening here. Jesus uses this image from the Old Testament to talk about what he will do. He's telling a story from the book of Numbers, when God sent serpents into the midst of the Israelites because they were speaking poorly against God and Moses. All this after God had used Moses to deliver them from slavery. 
So God sends these poisonous serpents into their midst, and many Israelites were struck and killed. In Numbers 21, beginning in verse 7, it says, The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit a person, they would look at that bronze serpent on the pole and live. There's a reason I hate snakes. What an odd thing for God to do. And here Jesus is using this story to explain what he will do. Jesus was sent into the midst of humanity but unlike the serpents, Jesus tells Nicodemus why he was sent. Jesus was sent into the world where evil and sin live and took that all upon himself, all the while remaining sinless. And we know that Jesus will be lifted high on a cross and that those who look to the cross, to that defining moment in their lives when they look to Jesus, they will find life and live. It's a rather strange comparison, comparing Jesus with serpents, and yet Nicodemus sits and listens to this mystery of faith. Author and pastor Scott Hosey says, In Numbers 21, God used a symbol of the very problem to be solved as the solution to the problem. Snake bite bite victims had to stare at the image of the snake. So in the New Testament, we look to the very thing that frightens us most, death itself, and somehow find there a path to an eternal life that means death no longer has the final word for any of us. So when we ask this question from our catechism, did God leave humankind enslaved to sin and death? The only appropriate answer is no, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But it wasn't just about making a one-time decision. God did not leave us enslaved to sin and death because God desires us to live life, to live out this truth here and now. And whether it was a moment in time you can date or moments in time where you realized Jesus was your Lord and Savior, a decision to believe was made. As Wesleyans, we love to talk about our free will, our freedom in faith, the freedom of choice that we have and the freedom that God has given us. It is July 31st. The month of July is when we celebrate our nation's freedom, and many people like to rank our freedom in Christ as the same as our freedom in America. But friends, it's different. Now don't get me wrong, I am beyond grateful to live in a place where freedom is known. But I'm keenly aware that even in America, there are many who do not experience the same freedom I do. 
And this is why the freedom in Christ is different. Because Christ's action on the cross is for all. But because we believe in free will, this freedom is a choice, and not all will choose to receive it. In John Wesley's notes on this chapter, he wrote about John 3.16. He says that God so loved the world means that all men and women under heaven. Wesley says that even those who despise God's love are included, and that the choice they make is the opposite of what is hoped for in this verse. Salvation is not limited to a certain number of people. It is not limited to a certain class or caste of people. It is open and available for all. Wesley said, God gave his son truly and seriously, and the son of God gave himself truly and seriously. After the ever-famous verse of John 3.16, Jesus continues about how the Son came not to condemn or judge the world, but that the world might know salvation through him. This is where the reality that is more than just one decision in a lifetime becomes real for us. If we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead— then our deeds will be of the light. We will hate what is evil and we will seek light and truth and justice. But what about those that live in the darkness? Yes, there are those things in this world that are evil. It does not take much but turning on the news or opening a newspaper or your web browser to see what is happening. But there are also those who don't claim Jesus as Lord and are good people. As I was researching this passage, I came across an article by David Luz, former president of Lutheran Theological Seminary. He begins by talking about John 3.16 and how many believe it's our faith in a nutshell, and how God's love is true, but how some think it is so easy. It's really not as easy as it seems sometimes. He says... Jesus says, everyone who believes will have eternal life, which perhaps implies a different outcome for those who don't believe. But read on, for in the very next verse, Jesus states, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, period. Moreover, the judgment to come is not punishment, but simply the crisis that befalls those who do not come out of the darkness for fear of the light. It is not judgment as punishment, but judgment as crisis, as tragedy, as loss. God comes in love to redeem such loss, turn such tragedy into victory, and demonstrate true power through sheer vulnerability and sacrifice. True freedom comes because Jesus has entered the dark spaces in our lives. True freedom comes because of a willingness to be vulnerable and open to the God who will enter our space and walk with us, holding us close, loving us, shaping us, healing us. And as Christians, one who might put John 3.16 on a poster 
we would do right to enter those spaces as well. Jesus entering these spaces is part of his incarnation, the very Lord becoming flesh and living amongst us. When you or I enter the spaces of another person to walk with them, it's part of our incarnational ministry. Friends, these words are not just words to be found on a bumper sticker or poster at a sporting event. They are the very truth that guide the way we live. Fleming Rutledge is one of our all-time favorite authors, and in her book on crucifixion, she says, From beginning to end, the Holy Scriptures testify that the predicament of fallen humanity is so serious, so grave, so irredeemable from within, that, short of div- that nothing short of divine intervention can rectify it. But divine intervention did rectify it in the person of Jesus Christ. And every time we enter the space of someone else's hurt or need, we embody that divine intervention. Something I'm keenly aware of is the beauty of people showing up in time of need. My father passed away almost two months ago, and I am still in awe of the number of people who showed up. The number of cards that were given to us still being sent two months later. I cannot tell you how many times I have bought sympathy cards and they have sat on my desk thinking I should put those in the mail. But after losing my dad, I am overwhelmed with the love and support from people all around the United States as they shared in our grief. This is incarnational ministry. But it doesn't just have to be in death. It can be in showing up in a meal after the birth of a child or the adoption or fostering of a child. It can be showing up to mow someone's grass when they've had a busy week or life has been rough. It can be taking someone to a doctor's appointment or sitting with them as they await the results. It can be sitting in silence with someone because they are afraid or tired or sad or you can fill in the blank. We do these things because God so loved the world. And because we have experienced that love firsthand, we want to share it with others. In his commentary on John, Frederick Dale Bruner points out what John 3.16 means to him. He broke the verse down in this way. God, the greatest subject ever, so the greatest extent ever loved, the greatest affection ever, the world, the greatest object ever, that he gave his one and only son the greatest gift ever, so that whosoever, so that every single individual, the greatest opportunity ever, who believes, who is simply entrusting oneself to him, the greatest commitment ever, would not perish, would never be destroyed, the greatest rescue ever, would have eternal life, would even now have a deep, lasting life, the greatest promise ever. 
May we take this poster verse and remember the verses around it. May we enter the darkness just as Jesus entered it for us, to be a light to the world. For Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, the greatest ever. Would you pray with me? Holy God, you sent your one and only Son that we might have life. And for that, we are eternally grateful. You love us. You enter our spaces, Jesus, to know us, to walk with us, to bring us hope. Use us to do that in this world as well. We love you and we praise you. We pray all these things trusting in your holy name. Amen.